0: Good morning, everyone. We're leading up to Easter, and during our Easter service, we're going to do kind of a special dedication. It's our celebration of renewal. It's our celebration of a fresh start. It's the the celebration of, of that energy of spring, of starting over in a clean slate. And to get there... Uh, we're leading up to it in, in sort of an orderly fashion, or at least for me it's an orderly fashion, uh, by releasing some of the stuff that might stand in the way. We're using section five of the, the textbook that Ernest Holmes wrote, The Science of Mind. And you know, it's a section that we don't talk about that much. It it covers some of the metaphysical uh, interpretations of, of Jesus' teaching. And I thought, you know, setting us up for a great Easter, this might be a, kind of a fun project. So first of all, last week we talked about then what is this metaphysics? What is the idea of seeing beyond a literal interpretation of scripture into something that's really more what Jesus intended and and what Ernest Holmes, of course, uh, uh, really excelled at bringing into the world. And we're going to move forward with that this week. And our our discussion is forgiveness. We've already had a a prayer that had forgiveness in it, a a testimonial about classes in terms of forgiveness. And we're going to plunge right in. And I think a great place to start is a joke about forgiveness. (laughs) All right. So we've got a joke about the old priest and the young priest. Now, the young priest says, you know, I've never actually sat for confessionals before. You know, would you mind if we kind of did the buddy system in the, in the confessional booth? So the old priest says, sure, that's fine. I'll, I'll start out, and then when you're comfortable, if you want to take over, um, we'll go from there. Uh, so a woman comes in, uh, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. And the old priest says, well, what did you do? And the woman says, well, I took the Lord's name in vain. How many times. Three times. So the old priest says say say two Hail Marys and put $5 in the poor box. Go out, sin no more, you are forgiven, my child. A few minutes later, a, a young man enters the confessional. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Well, what did you do? I had impure thoughts about a woman that I work with. How many times? 3 times. <laughs> So the old priest says, Say two Hail Marys, put $5 in the poor box, go out, sin no more, you are forgiven, my child. Well, now the new priest thinks, I've kind of got the hang of this, how hard could this be? I'll take the next one. So sure enough, uh, another fellow enters the confessional, uh, Father, forgive me, I have, uh, for I have sinned. Well, the new priest says, what did you do? I told an untruth to my wife. The new priest knows exactly what to say. How many times? The man replies, just once. The new priest thinks a minute, looks at the old priests, thinks a minute. Well, you're going to have to lie two more times. We have a special this week. It's it's three for five dollars. But you know what? Now, in many other ways, I might disagree with what I'm going to say, but I think Jesus may have been Catholic. And the the reason that I say that is, I think the idea of the confessional and being absolved of your, quote, sins, I think that's exactly the way God does work it. I don't think you have to do anything more than to take ownership of what you've done To honestly, in your own heart, know that you're going to change your thinking or change whatever is necessary so that you don't do it again, and you are forgiven. I actually think it works just that easy. Now, I wonder sometimes of the effectiveness of that kind of confession, because I think what really has to happen, the real transformation of course, is up you know up here in our heads and, and I think sometimes just by saying I did a bad thing or, or, or saying that i 'm not going to do it again, I mean I, I might wonder how realistic that is, but certainly in terms of divine forgiveness that 's it you know there's only one punishment in this world, and that 's the idea of cause and effect that 's the, the idea of, of karma or whatever you want to call it so when we do rotten things out in the world, you know, what's the punishment we receive? Well, we get to see a lot of rotten things in the world, some of which are directed right back at us. And as soon as we make that change, as soon as we say to ourselves, I'm going to behave differently. I'm going to have different thoughts where before I was angry. Now I'm going to be more loving where before I was very critical and put down people. I'm not going to do that anymore. That truly is all it takes for divine forgiveness. And your world will actually turn around. You will start seeing more of that positive. energy out there. You will start reaping the benefits of a new way of being, even as you may have been reaping the unbenefits of some of your negative thinking or some of the negative ways you uh, appear in the world. But more importantly, um, in, in this interesting chapter that we're reading in the Science of Mind textbook, he goes into uh, Ernest Holmes does a brief interpretation of the parable of the unmerciful servant, one of the key teachings of Jesus. And I just wanted to share the whole thing with you. First, the the literal wor- well, uh, okay, it, the literal words that Jesus said, right? Like we know. But at least as best has been handed down and translated and retranslated. As best as we can guess. Here's what Jesus said. And you know, I think you're in for a treat here. Because this doesn't sound like this is coming out of this church. Because this is one of Jesus -like, like really in the pulpit letting loose with the fire and brimstone. So here we go. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with all of his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was, of course, not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and that all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Well, at this point, the service fell onto his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything, I promise. Now the service master took pity on him. He actually canceled the debt, not just waited, but canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him just a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and choked him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, I will pay it back. He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. They went and told the master everything that had happened. So the master called the servant back in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy on your fellows as I had on you? And in his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he repaid the debt. Now, right, does this sound like this is coming from uh, the Prince of Peace, Jesus? Jesus really got worked up over this, and I'm going to tell you why. But lest you think, well, you know, even Jesus is being metaphorical here, and he didn't really mean torture in the sense of torment and things like that. Here's how Jesus ends it. This is how our Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. So it's like, nope, there's torture here. (laughs) We're not going to mince words with this. Jesus absolutely said forgiveness is one of the highest spiritual principles that we can have. And if we don't do it, we're in for trouble. Okay, now on to a little bit of the metaphysics here, though. So, of course, who is the master? That, that's our heavenly host. And how does God uh, interact in the affair of humans? Mm-hmm. Through humans. And so who's going to be doing the torturing here and to Who? It isn't like God has that list up there of every bad thing you do, and is figuring out how to get even. I mean, that isn't God. That's That's no one's idea of what God would be like. Well, I'm going to throw in a personal story, and I think you'll understand a little bit more about this idea of torture. Uh, so I've been with my partner now for about six years, and uh, maybe two or three months when we were dating, he invited me over to meet some of his family. Well, of course, you know, I'm, you know you're know, you a little nervous about uh, about meeting someone's family that you're dating, but, but we got there, and oh my gosh, they were such nice people. But at one point, his mom kind of took me into the kitchen, and she said, sort of conspiratorially, you know, that kind of hushed voice so that no one else hears. There are a few things I should tell you and I'm like, okay. Here, <laughs> here we go, right? And she proceeded to tell me how how difficult it must have been for Daniel to grow up because his father had been just such a hard man and so unloving and then she went into a sort of a long story on how also uh, Daniel's father had been mean to her and in uh, trouble in the community and and she kind of ended it by saying, "Well, and and then, and well, and she was using profane language at this point uh, about you know how he had met another woman and and run off and left her in the lurch with children to to raise. And the oh my gosh, she went on for some time. Whew! Well, she wound down, and we had a pleasant afternoon. But I got to tell you, on the way back in the car, right, <laughs> it's like Daniel. <laughs> You never told me about your father and and your poor mother. And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, didn't they recently just get a divorce or something? He said, my parents have been divorced for 25 years. I said, and your father? He said, I just have good memories of being in that household when I was growing up. Are you sensing the torture from unforgiveness? It isn't that God has some metaphysical hell for us, but I think we all have the capability of living in hell. Do you know what I mean? and what i found out about daniel's mom is that here after 25 years the anger of feeling betrayed the the hurt at at not being understood the the pain involved uh, in that divorce and in their relationship was as as alive 25 years later as it was the day that it was happening for her those same feelings of betrayal of anger of if anything they were heightened you know, in talking to Daniel and his sister, if anything, she'd kind of amped them up a little bit through the retelling it and the reliving it and the, and, and, and the, the telling it to other people. It was so strong in her that it was eating her up. Uh, a few years later, after I got to know her better, well, of course, right, she's marrying into the minister's family, so it's like, okay. So I said, you know, you might consider forgiving him it was not in the cards there there was a piece of her that thought by keeping the wound alive she was punishing him there was a piece of her that believed, even though there was this poisonous part of her mind, just full of venom and, and, and hatred and anger. She felt, in kind of her righteousness, that by holding on to that, that somehow he would suffer. Well, of course, shortly after meeting him, I'm I'm at dinner at another family thing, and he's a delightful man. And I'm sure he even has regrets about some of the things that happened, uh, you know, when Daniel was a boy, but he's not suffering. Daniel's not suffering. (laughs) Daniel's sister and the grandchildren aren't suffering. This vial of poison that was within his mom, the only person that it was poisoning was her. Now, I don't know if you have something in you that is like that. Hopefully not to that degree. Hopefully no one here is harboring a resentment, a a pain, something that happened in early childhood or or a marriage that went rotten. Hopefully no one here has that depth of, of anger still in them or that much resentment still in them. But I would like you to take a look. Are there areas from your past that when you think of that story, when you see that person, when you look at that photograph, when you recall that Christmas, do you still feel hot over it? Do you still feel pain over it? Do you still feel in you something that that yearns to either be paid back or, or made over or redone? Because if you do it means there is still forgiveness work to do. If you still are harboring resentments or pain or uh, or misery over something that happened years ago, there is still forgiveness work to do. I also think that we carry on this idea of unforgiveness and resentments even at a national scale. I was, reading, I was reading some material the other day, uh, I, and don't ask me where my, my choice in reading material comes from, but it was on, it was on Japanese history of all things. And uh, the uh, article was written by a fellow that said, you know, right now, right now in the world, if you're a tourist from Japan, you don't hardly want to go other places uh, in the Orient. If you're a, a Japanese tourist, you know, go to America, go to France, but don't go to China, don't go to Vietnam, and I'm reading the article, not really putting this together in my head, but there's still a lot of unforgiveness in the world for Japan's part of world war ii and e- even though you know here in america you know we know what happened but we're kind of over it not so in china not so in places uh, you know elsewhere in the world and that they were saying actually japanese tourists get picked on when they go to china even to visit relatives from there and things like that and i thought what on earth is this about but you know don't we do it don't we still have resentments about how maybe our ancestors were treated when they entered the United States? Don't we have resentments on, on maybe how men have treated women over the last 5,000 years? Aren't there still resentments in us about our ethnic heritage and, and, and maybe purges that went on in Europe that brought our ancestors here or, or slavery or, oh my gosh, there are any number of things that I think we also hold to us as groups of people where we're sitting in our woundedness. We're wounded about, you know, being picked on for who we are and living in unforgiveness. Still, maybe how, how early churches uh, uh, abused us. Or, I mean, honestly, any of these things are worthy topics of forgiveness. Now, do you want to know why I think Jesus made this such a stunning tale of torture and woe and, and, uh, and awfulness? Because I think he recognized that forgiveness is perhaps some of the most important work that we can do for ourselves. If we are to end the, the torture that we may feel, it has to start here. And the person who needs to be set free, as nice as it is to forgive someone else, they're probably have moved on. They're probably like Daniel's father off having a good life. The forgiveness isn't for them. It sets us free. It allows us a fresh start. It it gives us a, a new ability to love and be loved. It allows us to begin receiving more of life's benefits. What I know is how we do some things in life most likely carry over into other areas of our lives. And if we are closing off our heart because of resentments, around beliefs of what other people have done or other people will do, if we are building a wall between us and some people in our lives, are we really letting fully in the people that we love? Are we really allowing the full benefit of God, the the full abundance and sweetness of life? Uh, Can we both have resentment and anger and at the same time joy and freedom? I don't think we can. I think that when we close off a part of us and hold on to anger, when we limit our ability to express ourselves so that we can stand in in our righteousness about something that happened badly years ago, I think it colors what we're doing. I think it shows up in how we relate to our children and the people we love. I think it gives the message that some things are just unforgivable some things are worthy of me torturing myself. Some things are worthy of me poisoning myself. I don't believe this for a minute. I believe that is why Jesus was so strong, so, told such an amazing parable. It's because he thought this was one of the most important spiritual lessons we can learn. So our homework, yeah, this is, yeah, homework. (laughs) I know, usually when I say homework, everybody goes, oh boy, this will be fun. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not this week. I would like you to take a look at a couple areas of potential forgiveness in your lives. Now, one of them I think is fairly straightforward, and it will be the area that, that is most readily approachable, and that is just to think back about your life and the things that have got you to the point you are now, and are any of those places people's events or the things that went on in your life do they still bring up some anger in you do they still bring up some woundedness or some hurt in you do they still bring up that feeling that brings you right back to that time of when you were seven or 12 or 22 or whatever it was and it's like you could play it just like the movie of your life and feel the same things because if that is true you're still holding on to something there that could be released Now the part of the homework that's maybe a little less familiar, that is I would like you to cast out a little bit wider net and think about how your people, and you can define that however you want, how your people have been treated over the course of their existence and are you harboring some resentments there? You know, today's St. Patrick's Day. If we, we have any Irish here, it's like, hmm, what'd you think about that whole IRA deal? Is there some heat in that for you? If you're of African American uh, descent, are there still issues of slavery that exist right now today? If perhaps you or your ancestors came from a, another country, you know how did it feel to be treated? Were you welcomed into America? Were your people welcomed here, or were you brought over in like a indentured slavery, or were you brought to America, you know, with not enough money to even uh, meet your needs and treated badly by the bosses where you went to work? These things we carry with us, even though they didn't happen to us personally, even though they didn't even happen probably to our own parents, these things are, are carried down from generation to generations, And I would like you to look into your own hearts and your own souls to see if there's something there that needs to be forgiven. So that's your homework for this week. I'm not asking you to forgive and forget. And that's one of the questions that comes up to me. It's like, well, Larry, don't you want me to stay safe? If I just forget all about this, am I not apt to walk down a path that will allow me to be abused again? If I don't actually remember this, aren't I opening myself and my family up to, to more distress? It isn't forgive and forget. Forget remembering is perfect it's the passion it's the anger it's the afraidness that we're losing that is what we're letting go of that is what is being forgiven here it's not the memory of it the memory is fine The what happened is fine to be in your consciousness but what's holding you hostage is not forgiving the personalities involved so the homework this week find a couple of those areas and maybe once and for all maybe for the first real time in your life let us release and be done with the fear the anger the sense of loss whatever it is that comes up for you when you think of that time or that person or that way of being let us let it go so I'm going to close today, of course, with a prayer, but I also want to close with how Ernest Holmes closes out this section on forgiveness. He says, "The mind which condemns understands not the truth of being, and the heart which would shut the door of its bosom to one who is mistaken, it strangles your own life. It closes your eyes to a greater vision. The biggest life is one that includes the most." Not that we foster vice or place a premium on wrongdoing, but that we understand the frailties of human nature. We uh, we learn to forgive much. To we who love much, all is forgiven. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe that is this thing called life. And what I know about life is that it want to, wants to express itself in joy. It wants to see that fullness. It wants to be fun and loving and sweet. This is what what life wants. This is what God wants. This is why God's divine forgiveness is instantaneous. And I know that means me. I know that I have that same ability to simply let go, to forgive, not to forget, but to forgive. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that it becomes ever easier to release the shackles of, uh, of hatred, of, of bigotry, of bitterness. It, it becomes ever easier just to stand in the truth of the present moment and the goodness of life itself, to forgive. To be in that place of blessed forgiveness, wholeness, and freedom. I'm grateful for this awareness. I'm grateful to be here in the presence of of so many blessed souls. I just let it be. And so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you're here.